Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So today, I'm really excited, welcoming back from the holidays, but this is a big deal for Beer Me Radio, this is our second anniversary. So we've been rocking this for two years now at the Line Hotel. Um, and I have two people in the studio today that I'm really, really excited about. So welcoming back to the show, Doug Miller. Um, he is a lecturer at Cornell University. He teaches fermented grains, cider, and sake. He has been a guest on the show before. And uh, Katie Marisic, she is the Federal Affairs Manager for the Brewers Association. She was actually my very first guest my very first show. So we're coming full circle here. So thank you both so much for coming in the studio today. Oh, it's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me again. So we just finished up with the holidays. Did you guys drink any fun beer? Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, you live up in Ithaca. You need to drink some beer to stay warm. I get that. No, now it's winter season. You know, you get the stouts and porters out. Mm-hmm. Uh, move into the heavier style beers. Um, buy a few beers, give a few beers. That's what the holidays are about. Yeah. Anything in particular that you were excited about? Um, Or is it all just like a holiday blur of like happy beer? Mostly a holiday blur. Drank a little treehouse. Nice. Uh, Drank some Ithaca beer. Uh, Drank um, some Trillium. Working through some stuff. Yeah, you know, Ithaca um, Flower Power Beer, I think, is one of the more, like, overlooked beers. It's been around for a long time, and, you know, it's, it's the same thing kind of like Allagash White. It's like you kind of look at it on the shelf, like, ah, I've had that before. But then you revisit it, and you're like, oh, this is a really, 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 really solid beer. So, and you're getting spoiled up in, the, up in that area of New York for sure. Well, one of the great things in Ithaca, we have a great brewery, uh, Liquid State, mm-hmm. and it's easy because um, they have a brew pub, and you go shopping. Once you're done shopping, you stop by, have a beer and a pretzel, and then continue on with your shopping. Oh, yeah. It's like a little like shopping pick-me-up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Refuel. Uh, Katie, what about you? So I was up in Philadelphia this year for the holidays, meeting nice. with my family, and when in Philly, you always have to go to Monk's. So mm. One yeah. of the best <laughs> beer bars, like, ever. Yep, uh, my sister and I, and, and now my husband as well, we have a thing. We spend the whole day with family. Mm-hmm. And then around 9, 10 o'clock, we head over to Monk's. We go to that back bar, which is the best bar. And I, you know, they, they had a bunch of Hetty Topper, which I am not normally able to get. And then, of course, STS pills. Nice. We'll drink that anytime. And uh, the Brasserie de la Seine Monk's collab. Uh, That's I think awesome. it's Major Tom. Yeah. yeah. Just a few of the things that are good. Also, I like to start my New Year's resolutions really late in the year so Mm -hmm. I can uh, do them. This year it was getting rid of as many large format bottles as I could. So some Against the Green, some Abraxas, 
different things like that. We're trying to open up a new bottle every night and failing miserably. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily, so my brother-in-law and my cousin-in-law are both big beer nerds. And so we go up to Rochester, New York every year for Christmas. And we always, you know, I always text them ahead of time. Hey, what nerdy shit can I get you? Um, and my brother-in-law is a really avid home brewer and he made a, um, bourbon barrel aged smoked stout, but it was around 5% and it was really, really crushable. And when you're dealing with all of those, uh, really intense flavors to keep them in balance, it's a huge feat, especially in a homebrew scale. So I was, I was really impressed with that. And then I realized, so like, usually I go up there with some like, you know, big dick energy beer. Like I'll bring like a Cantillon or like a vintage Rodenbach or something like that. And then I realized that none of them had ever had Hardywood gingerbread stout, which Hardywood right in Richmond, Virginia. And everybody here, again, it's one of those overlooked beers. So I was like, oh, I just realized they've never had this before. So I brought up a bottle of that and like it blew everyone's mind. Right? Because yeah. it's, I mean, yes, ginger pastry stouts are not my jams, but... It's a good beer. It's a great beer. Yeah. And even the people who don't like beer were like, wait a minute, what? And everyone was really into it. It should have brought more bottles, but... That's what I'm saying now. Wait, I've never had that beer. <laughs> really? Nope. Okay, yeah, I'll send you some. <laughs> good, because my goal was not to bring any beer back with me. Okay. That's so if I send hard. it to you, then that goes around the rule that your wife set out for you, right? No, I break that rule all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's almost an impossible goal. Yeah, I've course. tried that one before. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's dive into some fun things. So 2020, exciting year. I'm, I'm you know, ad- admittedly, yes, the past couple days have been a little stressful in current events. However, I'm determined that 2020 is going to be a good year. <laughs> let's go in with some optimism. Um, but what are you all excited about for this year in beer? I know, Doug, you have some cool things going on in Cornell with your students and, and other things that you're looking into. And Katie, I'm sure the Brewers Association has some really cool stuff. And share what you can, you know, keep, keep quiet what you can, whatever, <laughs> you know. So, Katie, what do you guys, what do you got excited for? I mean, of course, I'm always excited for legislative things because I work in politics and mm-hmm. I'm a political nerd. 2020 is an election year, which is stressful, but also uh, a lot of go, 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 very fun, and we're going to keep working on the things that we've always worked on. But what I'm particularly excited for, uh, CBC in Texas, down in San Antonio this year. Craft Brewers Conference, Um, yeah. I've not been to San Antonio since I was probably single digits Mm -hmm. and never got to enjoy any beer down there. I am very excited for that. Um, and then was um, that April 19th through the 22nd or 23rd? Ooh, you're going to be better yes. at the dates than I am, but All yes. Right. Um, and then of course, Savor in Washington, DC at the Anthem this year. Yeah. It's not at the building museum this year. Not at the building museum, trying something a little bit new. Um, you know, things are changing up and I think that's great if, from my personal perspective, if you look at people who want to come to events like that and who get excited about it, they're also the people who are trying different beers, changing things up. And I think this fits into that. And it's just, I mean, the wharf is a pretty happening place yeah. and it'll be fun. We all know the food is always excellent. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just going to keep getting better. So excited to see that this is happening and trying something new. And then personally for me, I actually get to go to Homebrew Con this year. Oh, is that um, still in Providence, Rhode Island? Uh, no, it, this year it's going to be in Nashville. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Uh, yes. So, I, you know, I mean, Nashville is great for many reasons. I mm-hmm. highly recommend if anyone's going down there, check out that rock bottom on the Broadway Strip. They make some great, great beers. 
but uh, I, I really enjoy the homebrew aspect and working with the people from the AHA, and we do a lot more in D.C. than we did when I started a few years ago. So excited to talk to them about some of the political aspects of that. And, you know, I mean, this might not be universally agreed upon. I think homebrewers are cool. <laughs> I love them. I love trying all the different beer. The DC Homebrew Club is filled with the most welcoming, genuine people I have ever encountered. Um, I agree. And I think they're like so excited and passionate about what they do. And that's one of the things that I love about the brewing industry. So I get a real like, I get a real rush from hanging around with people who really care about beer. That's awesome. And so Homebrew Con, we haven't really dived into that much on the show, and I think I probably will later on. But just for listeners, basically as a homebrewer, you can submit Mm -hmm. your brews um, to be judged and possibly awarded on a national scale. I'm thinking you have to get through other levels to get to that. Yeah, they do regional competitions, and Mm -hmm. then you sort of work your way up. I mean, it's a huge endeavor. But it's something that's great, and some of the award-winning beers are fantastic. Then they also do the Pro-Am at GABF. It's the first medal awarded, so it's pretty great. And then, of course, we also do the Hillstaff Homebrew Competition, which uh, I started with with the guys from the AHA, which has just been really, really fun. It's anyone who works on Capitol Hill gets to participate, and it's grown year after year, and it's been really fun to watch. This year, the winning beer was called Space Cow. And the office was a Florida office, and they showed up all wearing matching shirts with like a manatee on it. And it was I oh, was like, sea cow, sea cow, not, yeah. Not but they called it space, space cow. cow yeah. But yeah, yeah, immediately I pictured a dairy making. <laughs> you can't get milk from manatees. Yeah, so it's just fun seeing people like really get into something, mostly in a, in like a setting where people normally aren't. Everyone's a little more stoic on the hill, mm-hmm. but this they were having fun. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, uh, Doug, what are some exciting things that you got going on this year for beer or well, things that you're excited about? I'm excited. I launched a, um, through eCornell, an online beer certificate that uh, just launched off. And it's really geared towards people who are in the industry or even people at home on how to be better educated about beer. Because I'm also teaching my beer class. So my goal is to uh, educate people about beer, why it's wonderful. Um, also... Uh, make beers so uh, you know beer for everyone so i'm a firm believer if you like alcohol there's a beer for you even those who say i don't like beer you just haven't found the right beer so keep trying it's there mm-hmm. uh, and also making sure that everybody you know what if you like beer drink it doesn't matter who what when where why there's a beer for every situation every individual um, with my students in class you know my goal is just to make them better educated consumers so they're making knowledgeable choices little secret i love selling beer in stores i don't work for the stores i've done it in multiple places but i just see consumers like lost and i just walk up to them like what are you looking for and they're like oh do you work i'm like no i don't work i just you know want to help you out help you make a decision moonlighting at liquor stores i do i'm moonlighting liquor stores vigilante Uh, beer salesman yeah because i want to help them out because i feel so bad for them like all right what style are you looking for just give me a flavor profile uh, and build it out and just help them out uh, so they're not just grabbing and mm-hmm. then feeling disappointed because it wasn't for them. Because, yeah, every beer is not for everybody. That's perfectly okay. Uh, but how do you connect an individual with the style or flavor profile that they're looking for so it's a pleasurable experience and not just random luck? Yeah. So for those of you just tuning in, I'm sitting down with uh, Doug Miller, lecturer at Cornell University, and Katie Marisic, the federal affairs manager at the Brewers Association. So, Doug, you mentioned this certificate on eCornell. 
Um, what, what kind of, where does this stand as far as the certification process goes? I mean, is this kind of on par with Cicerone or is this more introductory? Like what is? So it's a little bit different than Cicerone. Mm -hmm. um, this is mostly geared towards people who how to build a beer program. Uh, so there's, you know, anywhere from how to make educated decisions to create a beer list. I mean, there's way more styles than anybody can carry or brands than anybody can carry. So how do you create and build a list? Uh, how do you educate your staff? Um, how do you educate um, your guests? So they also make educated decisions. Um, and then also looking at what are the pros and cons of setting up a tap beer program. You know, it's tap beer is wonderful, but it's not for everybody based off of a whole list of space or talent or whatever configuration. So it's really geared towards operators and how does an operator set up a beer program. That could be restaurants, hotels, brew pubs, whatever. And the other nice thing about the other course within eCornell is there's a beverage management certificate, there's HR, so really industry-facing. These are non-credited courses, um, completely online. Uh, people can do it uh, throughout the year, whenever they have free time. I have a course going on right now uh, where they check in, and it's fun. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And then um, when you, the class that you teach in person at Cornell, I mean, basically these are future decision makers yes. in the beverage field. So these are people that are going to be buying beer and making bigger decisions about beer. That's a lot of responsibility. Well, it's it, my first line is, Every beer we try you won't like, which is fine. I also do beer fault day. I love that day. It's one of my favorite days to do because I do a fault test with the students. So um, these are beers with flaws. With, so I do a control mm -hmm. and then I do, you know, either skunked or diacetyl or whatever, the different faults. So they can start to understand uh, the differences. So when they do go out and buy or purchase whatever, they know what they're looking for. And it's the one day that none of the students want more beer. I'm like, you sure you don't want more skunk beer? Like, no, we're good. We're, we're, we're good. Um, but I think that's part of the, the learning process. I mean, when's the last time somebody returned a beer in a bar or restaurant because of some type of fault? And the reason why I feel is because people don't know any difference. Mm -hmm. So they don't Unless you have a control in variables, how would you know the difference? You might just say, oh, that beer was okay, just not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I also talk about where do these faults come from. You know, the challenge with, with the craft beer industry is a lot of these are not the brewer's fault. Oftentimes, it's their operator's fault. I'm a firm believer, you'll agree with this, uh, I believe in cleaning beer lines every other week because it does make a difference and it can make a great beer horrible. Yeah. You know, and talking about things like that. It takes a lot of guts to, to, you know, say to a bartender or somebody like, hey, this beer is, is wrong. And then you've got that awkward moment of, is this person going to take me seriously? <laughs> Are they going to call me a jerk? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely an awkward thing, but you've got to do it. We've got to have better beer out there, right? I have found the better the bar the more the the more acceptable accepting they are of yeah. you saying hey there's something wrong with yeah. this and them giving it a try yeah well we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with beer me on full service radio
Welcome back to Beer Me, recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I'm sitting down with Doug Miller. He's a lecturer at Cornell University. And Katie Mersick, she's the federal affairs manager for the Bruce Association. Both have been on the show before, and we are celebrating our second year anniversary today. So I'm incredibly excited and honored to still be on air. Uh, so... Katie, you brought a beautiful beer for us to try, and I see it's from Trogues, which is one of my personal favorite breweries. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Um, so more the background of why I brought the beer. One, okay. The first time that I was on this show with you, it was like 9 in the morning, and I don't even think that this whole hotel was open, and I brought a beer for some reason. But I it decided... It was 10 a.m. on a Monday. It was 10 a.m. <laughs> on a Monday. It just seemed like the right way to start things off. Yes. So this time I brought a Trogues Farmette. The Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania Wild Saison, aged in oak barrels. And there is a little bit of a story behind that. Uh, You know, my father is one of the reasons that I got so involved in the brewing industry and especially in craft beer well before I started working for the Brewers Association. And Trogues was his favorite brewery. I also have a very sad story about a chair that he donated to them that's still there. Um, And a sad, lovely story, actually, Mm -hmm. is the way to say it. And today is actually the 10th anniversary of the day that he passed away. So I Mm -hmm. thought it would be a nice way to honor him by having a little bit of Trogues beer. And I personally just really like wild beers. So mix, mix of both of those things. Well, cheers to your dad. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is lovely. Really, really, really delicious. Um, and you grew up near Trogues Brewery. I did, yes. As people, if you're not from Pennsylvania, I'll just say I'm east of Hershey. Okay. it's <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. So, um, you know, while we're sipping on this delicious beer, um, <laughs> I want to dive back uh, a little bit into kind of upcoming for you in 2020, Um, kind of looking forward, what are some things that you're hoping to accomplish in your role? What are some, what are some things that, or or things that you have accomplished that you're kind of hoping to build on for this year? Well, a few years ago, we were able to finally get language written that was a part of a strong piece of legislation that we'd been working on for a long time that lowered the federal excise taxes for uh, breweries. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for small independent breweries, anyone who does less than 2 million barrels of beer a year, their first 60,000 barrels were cut in half from $7 a barrel to $3.50 a barrel. Which is massive. Yep. And then 18 to 16 for everything above that up to 6 million barrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a really big deal. And it's one of those things that if you're a thousand barrel brewery, we're talking about $3,500 a year, which any small business owner can tell you. I mean, that's a lot. It adds up. It's massive. The way the provision had initially been written, um, it was the, the language of the legislation called the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act was supposed to make it permanent, mm-hmm. um, but it was included in another bill as a two-year provision. So we were able to get that extended an additional year, and we'll be working on making it permanent in 2020 or, you know, all unforeseen things, hopefully at least continuing to get it extended a little bit more because it's so important to our members. Another thing that was written into that language that I think a lot of people don't talk about, but a lot of people have been using, mm-hmm. is the ability to transfer beer between bonded facilities. Um, so if you're a bonded brewery and you're doing collaborations, you can send the beer that you made at one brewery to another brewery. You know, state laws still come into play there, but it's a really big thing that has allowed for a lot of collaborations that were a little bit more difficult prior can, to this. Can, yeah. Can you give an example of that just to kind of like, or, or, you know, just to kind of 
illustrate that a little bit? Um, I know that out in Colorado, a lot mm-hmm. of different breweries have been doing them. But, you know, your favorite breweries get together. Uh, I'm trying to think. Now I'm having, like, of course, trouble thinking about one. Mm-hmm. Um, but say... Um, like, let's say there's a, there's a brewery in New York that wants to do a collaboration with a brewery in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so the brewer comes down. Mm-hmm. They, make, they, they come down to Georgia. Yeah. Of course, you always go down to Georgia and <laughs> they brew the beer down there yeah. and say that they would like to ha- sell some of that beer brewed in Georgia up in the New York tap room. Mm-hmm. Well, as long as they go through, you know, the appropriate channels of getting it from one to the other, they're going to be able to do that without having to go through a lot of uh, jumping through a lot of different hoops. So that's been okay. helpful for a few different people. Some of them, it's just been helpful in state. I know that New Belgium did one with True. Um, and I believe Vanish up in up in uh, Leesburg yeah. does a fair amount of them as well, and it's been very helpful for them. I so. mean, like Aslan right here in Alexandria mm-hmm. is like lord of the collaborations, yep. and you know they definitely have been able to take advantage of that for yeah. sure. And it's nice anything that can help continue to spur that because I think one of the cool things about the industry is of course collaborating but also you know if if you are a brewer you can go and you can learn something working with other people's equipment learning about the way that they do their process I think that's great I mean there's no other beverage industry that does collaborations the way that brewing does I mean Doug you've been exposed to a lot of the liquor world and wine world and and nobody else does that you don't see it in the distilled spirits world Mm -hmm. don't see it really at all in the wine world that's what I like about the beer industry, the collaboration. These are small business owners uh, crafting a product. It's part science, part artwork, uh, part known, part unknown. And that's what makes it so much fun. I mean, it is an endless rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that because for a while, draft lines used to be such a beer-specific thing. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see more draft cocktails, definitely want, you know, wine that's being kegged, cider that's being kegged. But you're right. Hard the colla- seltzer that's being oh, kegged. Hard seltzer that's being <laughs> kegged. And you're right, the collaborations really are a truly beer-centric thing, which is, is very cool. Um, so, yeah, that's another part of the legislation. That's mm-hmm. always going to be our top priority. Um, and then, you know, we continue to work with hop and barley growers. We had some pretty good successes in the farm bill, which only comes around every five years, but we keep paying attention to them. The government, I think, sees and Congress sees uh, the importance of hop farming and barley farming to our agricultural industry. And they do a ton of great stuff up at Cornell with that. Um, New York, Maine, those types of areas have really been increasing their barley production and, of course, hops as well. A state like Michigan is doing doing it all. Yeah. Um, and they're putting more research into it. We were able to hire a new researcher. I believe they are hiring a new researcher out in Corvallis. And that comes from a mix of additional funding through hops and barley research. And then also, of course, the BA is putting funding towards that as well. So something that I really love that the Brewers Association does is um, really connect with hop growers and and barley growers. And I was lucky enough to crash a dinner when you guys were hosting a lot of the hop growers kind of coming up on the hill and like advocating Mm -hmm. for, you know, what they what they stand for and also their needs. Um, And I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, what they do or, you know, kind of how they're. Um, livelihood works. It it is very interesting. It's one of the things that I was really happy to be able to learn more about because of my job. And I think that, uh, uh, at least for me, even being from Pennsylvania in a heavily agricultural area, I don't always think about the amount of science that goes into these types of things. And when you look at hops, 
um, I just where we were with hops five years ago to now, Mm -hmm. um, Cascade versus Citra for being the number one grown, the amount of private privatized hops versus public varietals and what can be grown and what a big part the government plays in that is just really interesting. But it's like the beer you're you're drinking. I mean, scientists research that they put 12 years into creating a new varietal of hop and also from the business aspect, whether or not it's worth putting money into it to, to, you know, to grow that hop, to plant more of them, to sell it to other people. I think it's a, it's a really important part of, like I said, our agriculture, but also a high business thing. I mean, we export 50% of the hops that are grown in the United States and the U S is, is the number one hop producer in the world. Yeah. And um, when you talk about privatized hops, uh, varietals are so fascinating to me because it's like you're owning a, a species of hop, and and that just completely blows my mind. I mean, Doug, you're exposed. I mean, you're up at Cornell, so you're exposed to a lot of um, species of plants of all kinds. Now, and and going back to the impact that the beer industry is having is I work with somebody who is a small farmer. Her husband's a farmer, second or third generation, and they've grown mostly crops for animal feed. And now they're thinking about growing, um, sorry, grain for animal feed. Now they're thinking about growing uh, some barley that can be used for beer as another revenue source because uh, they're, they're a small family farm and, you know, the increased value they can get for that grain is something they're exploring. You know, with all the new varieties coming online, it is, and this is why, you know, uh, colleges, universities, the government have a part to play with this because it's a lot of time and effort to create these new uh, types of hops and barley. And they're, they're creating them, you know, the hops for flavor profile, also disease resistance, uh, barley, same thing. Barley is a tricky grain to grow depending on the climate. Uh, so how it could be more resilient uh, based off of water or what the terroir or the land is like. And these will help based off of location. These different producers bring products uh, to, uh, to the marketplace. So, you know, you're starting to see um, multiple places do uh, beer products made exclusively from their state. You know, so all the grains from Maine or all the grain is from New York or or wherever, which is which is exciting because that helps to connect the dots, you know. So the farmers are seeing where the product's going. The brewers get excited to help out the farmers because it's helping out the local community. And that's what I'm excited to see more of as there's more hop varieties and grain varieties that hit the market that are sustainable in the different types of locations. You're also seeing a growth in kind of boutique maltsters, yeah. um, which... I called this like 10 years ago. <laughs> 10 years ago, I was like, man, in another life, I would want to be a little boutique maltster um, and just wear overalls my entire life. Um, but, you know, we choose our paths, what have you. <laughs> but yeah, you're seeing those rise in boutique maltsters. And, you know, years and years and years ago, it was like, all right, you can choose a couple bags from a catalog and they're all coming from, you know, Germany, UK, you know, that kind of thing. But now it's like, yeah, we can get this particular kind of malt from Maryland. State governments are really important in that too. State like New York has um, a great incentive for farm breweries, which means that a specific uh, specific number or percentage of ingredients that they use in their beer comes from New York farmers. 
And in this particular case, it allows them to open satellite locations. So you're seeing these really, really small niche breweries in towns that also have an outpost in their local airport where they're allowed to, you know, they're allowed to send the beer that they're brewing and serve it there. And that's part of the reason because they're using those local crops to do so, which is a real incentive for the small producers and the larger producers to grow in those areas. That's why I wish, talking about airports, I wish more airports sold beer past security from the local area. Like, uh, my brother was in Milwaukee, and I'm like, hey, bring back some beer for me. So he was at the airport, picked up a 12-pack of Nucularis, and brought it home for me. Um, which was great because it was past security, or uh, probably the best beer bar I've been to in an airport is in Minneapolis. They have, I don't know, 100 beers, all from uh, Minnesota. You know. It is. Yep. We were just we were just talking about this. I've had to travel a lot more this year, and the beer options in airports is vastly improved, vastly improved, significantly improved. But I agree with you. So my sister lives in Maine, and I'm like, how come at the Portland airport I can get a lobster to go, but I can't get I can't get a beer? It's like we need more of that. That is one of the. I've only been to Wisconsin one time. And I had a bunch of beers stashed in my suitcase. I got through security. I was like, guess I'll buy it. I'll buy another 12 pack. <laughs> yeah, because then you're left like, all right, do I have to check my bag for, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a couple bottles of beer and then you, you know, whatever. You yeah. have to pay 30 bucks to check your bag unless you have status. I feel like know? it's like Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, at least the, uh, the Louisville Airport, Nashville Airport, um, and then... Portland, Portland and, great job. and Wisconsin. Those are yeah. the only ones I know off the top yeah. of my head that do it. Yeah. We need more. Get with it, airports. Yeah. We, you know what? Yeah, future show, we need to have somebody really who, who purchases beer for airports mm-hmm. to kind of dive into that a little bit. <laughs> well, because it's easier. Because if I know if I can get it at the airport post-security, mm-hmm. I'll spend the money, mm-hmm. put yeah. it in a whatever backpack, and I'm good to go. Um, opposed to, yes, do I put it in bubble wrap and then my suitcase? Do I want to check luggage? No, I don't want to check my own luggage. So do I bring it home with me? Yeah, just put it in the airport. Uh, Denver has a great beer scene at the airport. Yeah. Like you can do a beer crawl at the Denver airport. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, but that's past security, right? Yes. That's past yes. security. And that's, that's Denver. If they didn't have a good beer selection in their airport, I'd be real disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to come in on our second year anniversary here on Beer Me. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Congratulations on your two years. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I couldn't ask for better guests. It's, it's really nice to see you two smiling across the table from me. Um, so please continue to listen to Beer Me because we appreciate each and every one of you listeners. And um, we'll catch you next week. This has been Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Cheers. <laughs>